All right, podcast family, what do you think about when I mention to you placenta accreta spectrum? What pops into your head? Well, you would probably think placenta previa in prior C-section, right? Well, you should. Those are the two most important and the two most well-known risk factors for placenta accreta spectrum. But placenta accreta can happen without either of those two factors. Although, yes, it's much less common. I was recently asked to provide insights on a real case of suspected placenta accreta spectrum in a prima paris patient who is suspected of having the condition at attempted placental extraction at time of a primary C-section. Now, the C-section was performed not for a bleeding issue, but for failure to progress, and her placenta was fundal. So, can a fundal placenta actually be in accreta without previous C-section history? Well, we're going to talk about that in this episode. And if it can, well, what's the frequency of that even happening? And what is the expected patient morbidity? We're going to examine this data and highlight a recently published case report from September 2023 that describes this very clinical presentation. So let's get into all of this crazy history and the facts right now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves really fast. This is Clinical Pearls. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Podcast family, I am here with Dr. Jordi Gaitan. Hello. And we Jordi has been on the episodes on podcasts in the past. And so I've prepped him. Jordi, you've got to talk loud and not be robotic. Okay. <laughs> All right. So a couple of things. We're in, in another clinic, hence the little echo, but I'll have somebody try to take that out. But here's what I really wanted to ask Jordi. Now, I haven't asked you the question before, right? No, sir. All right. So if I were to say to you, Jordi... Where do you think most placenta accretas involve? Uh, where, where are they on the uterus? And tell me a, a typical patient history about PAS. They're easy, right? Yeah. Placenta accreta spectrum. Tell me about it. Prior C-section, anterior placenta. Um. All right. So stop right there. So he automatically went to prior C-section, anterior placenta, more specifically probably a previa, right? Right. All right. So for sure. But would it be weird if I said, Jordy... How would it ever be possible for a nulliparous patient to have a accreta in the fundus? Is that a thing? I assume that that's what this podcast is about. <laughs> it is indeed. That's a wise man right there. <laughs> but now, does that, to be honest, is that freaky? Does that throw you off? We're not traditionally taught that, right? Come on, what do you think about that? Yeah, not, not, that's not one of the things that was on my radar. All right. So... You see, guys, this is why we're doing this, because you're absolutely correct, Dr. Gaitan, in saying, oh, anterior previa, uh, previous section, of course, and we're going to give those numbers in this episode. But the truth is, when asked, where can PAS occur? And the answer is, uh, anywhere in the myometrium. 
Now, it's much rarer, but it did happen. And it happened recently. Not to us, but to, to a case I'm going to discuss here in a minute. So, placenta accreta spectrum, totally legit, legit Dr. Gaetana, as you mentioned. But the truth it can happen anywhere. All right, shall we get to it? Let's do it. Okay, before we get into the data, now, this, honestly, this really does throw people for a loop, right? And we're going to get into what that hospital facility, again, it wasn't at my facility, but it happened to a buddy of mine uh, who's a great physician, very evidence-based, very caring, uh, and and I'll discuss that in just a minute, because it it threw that nursing group, it threw some uh, other faculty members into a loop, and it really should not have. And I'm going to discuss that in just a moment. But before I get into that, I mean, think about it. We're in uh, oral board season. That really is a good question, right? I mean, let's say you are sitting there taking your oral boards, and so let's play the oral board game, all right? Uh, So the examiner says, okay, doctor, so where can placenta accreta spectrum occur? And you go, oh, that's super easy. I get that. That's a big topic. It's a big deal right now. Definitely on ACOG's radar, and it should be. Uh, But that typically happens with a placenta previa. That's typically anterior, and that typically underlies the area of the prior hysterotomy. And you would be absolutely correct in that answer. But it would also be completely incomplete. Because while those two factors, as we've already discussed, are absolutely vital to the development of PAS, the more complete answer is, um, yeah, we need to talk about this. PAS has to be on everybody's radar. And while those two factors, previous C-section and previa, are the ones that get the most of the attention, and they should, the truth is, is that any kind of uterine defect, any kind of of uterine abnormality, specifically at at the myometrial layer, the basalis layer, can put the patient at risk, even, even though it's much more rare, in nulliparous patients. So the answer is it can happen anywhere where the placenta actually touches and embeds and attaches to the myometrium. Although, truth be told, Previa and an area of prior hysterotomy are the most likely suspects, the most likely culprits in this issue's development. But I just want you to, to, to take it that one step further, to really understand that, uh, that this issue of placenta accreta spectrum, which is morbid wherever it exists, but definitely much more morbid in the previous hysterotomy case, and I'm going to give you those numbers in a minute, uh, it is almost as morbid if this attaches anywhere else, right? So, and as Jordi said, Dr. Gaitan, earlier, you know, we just don't really get taught that, that, man, in a patient who has a prolonged third stage of labor, you know, excluding user error, where, you know, nobody's actually put traction on the placenta and the, and the placenta is actually sitting in the uh, upper part of the vagina. I mean, I've gone into rescue patients with that. Oh my gosh, placenta has been in there for 30 minutes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, start panicking. I'm thinking, you know, morbidly attached uh, placenta, something wrong. And then I put my hand in the vagina and it's in the top of the vagina. I'm like, did you all pull the cord at least? At least try a little bit uh, or have her valsalva because it would have just plopped out. So, so outside of user errors, anybody with a prolonged third, of, third stage of labor, get your mind thinking, wow, could this possibly be a placenta accreta, even if the patient is nulliparous, well, now primaparous because she just delivered. Uh, And this is where knowing the patient's history is super important because that's where you go, especially if you don't know the patient, like you're the OBGYN on call and you just walk into the room. 
uh, and you go, has, has there been any kind of surgery or procedures on this uterus, like DNCs, any kind of infections of the uterus? Uh, has there been any issues, anything wrong with it, like an embedded IUD, anything that could potentially disrupt that malmetrial layer or the malmetrum? that potentially could be a cause of abnormal attachment. And I'm going to go through to this a little bit more detail in just a moment. But, but this whole idea that PAS is directly related to C-sections and C-sections alone is just not right. Any kind of uterine manipulation and or a uterine anomaly uh, could result in PAS, even in weird locations like the fundus. Now that we've laid down that background, let me tell you a little bit more in detail without any kind of PHI. Don't worry, we're definitely not going to violate HIPAA, I promise you. I'm not going to tell you where the facility was or who the provider was. I'm just going to speak very general, but there's great learning points here, okay? Uh, so I was recently asked to opine on uh, this is exactly what the email said. Dr. Chapa, we would like you to opine on this surgical obstetrical case. I was like, opine, my goodness, I grew up in the body. We don't use words like opine. <laughs> we just go, what's your opinion, man? Just tell me what, just talk normally. But I love that. I would like, we would like you to opine. So first I was like, opine? It, that's like my opinion, right? I mean, that's why I lost cool points because as fancy as I am in OBGYN data and I'm very evidence-based friendly, yeah, English, maybe not so much. But anyway, I was asked to opine on this surgical OB case, which involved a nulliparous patient, right? She was in her early 20s, who was appropriately diagnosed with arrest of labor per ACOG guidelines and was taken for a primary C-section. She was stuck at six centimeters, all right? All that's legit. Everybody gets that. That's all good. And that time of placental attempted extraction, right? Baby was out. Everything is cool. Placenta, they're trying to get out of the uterus, trying to pull a little bit. And like, hey, what, what's going on? The uterus inverted. Now, before you think, well, was she on general anesthesia that makes the uterus kind of boggy and soft? No, she was just under regular labor epidural. That wasn't the case. And the physician said intra-op, oh my goodness, there's no plane of dissection here. I suspect this is morbidly adherent into the fundus, aka placenta accreta. Okay, so the physician was finally able to manually dissect the placenta off, off the, the, the malmetrium, kind of in pieces. And at this point, the patient had developed PPH. She required two units of packed cells. The physician required uh, a B-Lynch suture and also a Hayman suture to try to get uh, hemostasis, and eventually that worked. And yes, the patient also had TXA and other uterotonics at the same time, all right? Now, if you remember, everybody gets the B-Lynch sutures, but people kind of forget about Heyman. Heyman is super easy to do. Basically, they're vertical uterine compression sutures. You can use that together with the B-Lynch. They're like the ones that look like big overalls, right? So go from the anterior of the lower uterine segment to the posterior, back up again, and then just tie like, like overalls would look or suspenders on the uterus, right? That's Heyman. So B-Lynch and Heyman and uterotonics finally stop bleeding. Everything's good. She goes to recovery and she ended up doing fine. Okay. Well, so you're like, so what's wrong with that? Well, the physician, we said, I, I think this was a placenta accreta. S some of the confusion went, well, how could this be an accreta? I mean, it was fundal. Uh, it, it doesn't make any sense. And it's, uh, you know, this was a, a no lip a Paris patient, now prima Paris patient. So there was no quote, quote, risk factor uh, for, for an accreta. And so this physician had to kind of explain to uh, the, the quality, uh, internal quality peer review, uh, why he thought this was uh, an accreta. 
And and this was now this regular old uh, peer review. Anytime that there was uh, uh, two units or more of blood given, that's their own protocol, right? As it should be uh, to make sure the blood bank is being used appropriately. And and so the physician said, look, man, I, I this isn't a crack. I couldn't get it off. I mean, it was very odd. And so I got this call before pathology report had come back on the on the placenta, right? So I said, first, uh, I'll be happy to help my friend out, knowing, of course, that that's, that's, I know this person, so I just have to disclose that. But they asked for me, so I, I want to see what, you know, I'm going to call it like it is, no matter what. I'm going to be very fair and objective, but let me just wait for the placenta. Well, when the placenta portions came back at, at the base, at the decidual plate, all right, the part of the placenta that embeds, that touches the, the myometrum, guess what they found? There was muscle fibers, myometrial fibers, interlaced with the cotyledons, a.k.a. that's histological proof of an accreta. All right, so y'all get this. So they were throw, trying to throw my buddy under the bus because they're like, oh, this guy calls it an accreta. It's a primip and it was fundal. That doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, yeah, it does. Actually, that that is a thing. So I wrote up this whole report, of course, as external peer review that uh, based on what I see, this patient had – uh, an accreta, but but here's the 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 further information that I did not reveal uh, to you, but obviously I knew in writing the report. And here is the information that ties it all together. You see, even though this patient was a nulliparous patient, meaning she had not had any other deliveries past twenty weeks, she was in fact not nulligravid. She actually had two previous pregnancies, both of which ended in spontaneous losses in the first trimester. One was treated medically with misoprostol, and then the other, the most recent one before this index pregnancy, was treated with a DNC. And there could possibly lie the issue. Now, I say possibly because, of course, I have no proof of that. But And I'm going to get into that a little bit more because this is – I'm not the first to propose this, that should there be a, a myometrial defect with that DNC. Now, remember, sometimes we do a DNC, it goes a little deep, and we get into the muscle, but not really a perforation. The uterus does very well. Patients are asymptomatic from that. But if it heals abnormally – that defect, if that's where the placenta ties, you see all the factors have to be in line together, then that potentially could set the stage for abnormal placentation. And again, that's not my theory. This has actually been published as well. And it's even been published in patients without a DNC, but some kind of other uterine condition, uh, including uh, uh, metritis after a DNC or metritis after IUD insertion. I mean, anything that could potentially throw off the, the normal anatomy, the inflammatory response of that myometrium could, in theory, uh, uh, lead to placenta accreta without C-section history. Okay, So the, even though this patient in this case snapshot was nulliparous, she wasn't nulligravida, and that was the factor that tied it in. That history, together with that pathology that showed myometrial fibers interlaced within the cotyledons, that is de facto proof. I mean, that's histological proof in, in this clinical context of an accreta. So I wrote in my report, again, being very, very you know, non-judgmental, very objective is, yes, this, I believe this physician was right. And here's the catch. Because it doesn't present as a typical previa with a you know, close to a hysterotomy area, these are traditionally missed. And ultrasound is not real good for looking at this because how many of us are looking for abnormal attachment of the placenta at the fundus? 
I mean, let's be honest. We do a level one ultrasound. You see it. Uh, you see the placenta. You're like, it's fundal. Uh, is it single lobe, bilobed? Uh, the cotyledons look normal. We don't even do grading anymore. That's just kind of a an interesting feature, but grading doesn't really matter unless you have a severely developed uh, and calcified placenta under 32 weeks, right? Grade three placentas uh, under 32 weeks are linked to higher risk of perinatal morbidity. But outside of that finding in extreme preterm births, really the the specificity for adverse issues is, is just very poor, all right? So we see a placenta, it's not a previa, we're like, all right, great, it's anterior fundal or it's, it's a fundal, a lateral, whatever, we're like, okay, we're good. But how many of us really look for that hypoechoic band of that uh, decidual layer that that really should be there between placenta and myometrum, uh, the true muscular layer. Uh, very few, even though we should, especially in in a patient who's had previous uterine manipulation slash surgery. Okay, so it, not only are we not really paying attention to that, we're just kind of relieved that it's not a previa. Um, but even if we are looking for it, the sensitivity of ultrasound is not great. And I'm going to give you those numbers that have been published for the non-previa accreta detection, right? Because that's been looked at both with ultrasound and, of course, they've also been documented and published for MR. And so I'm going to give you those sensitivities and specificities in just a moment, okay? But but they are obviously different than they are, and their accuracy, their precision is much lower when it's non-previa because we have so much data. We know exactly what we're looking for when it's a previa and a previa C-section. But some of those markers are still there, like lacunae, this absent uh, hypoechoic band. All of those are legit regardless of where the placenta is actually adherent, okay? but And, and again, I'm going to get into all of this a little bit more. I'm just setting the stage here. All to say, if it's not a placenta previa in a previa C-section patient, we're just not as good as detecting this antenatally in most of these cases of placenta accreta in, in a non-previa location uh, are, are not diagnosed antenatally but are found just like I did with my, with my buddy uh, at time of third stage of labor. All right, everyone, I promise, of course, I'm going to get into the data, but this deserves a little special commentary for my friend who went into peer review, okay, internal peer review for, for this case. You see, when a physician, another, uh, somebody else on the quality uh, initiative team, on, on the QA team, reviewed this, we're like, ah, oh, clearly this can't be an accreta. This is a nulliparous patient, and it was in the fundus. That's not a thing. Now, how hard would it be to actually look that up? I mean, um, let's just stop right there. But but the, the quick knee-jerk reflex is, hey, I've never heard of it. So obviously, if I haven't heard of it, it can be a thing, right? And, and that's where it went. When We've known that for a while now. There are non-previa accretas. And and so that would have been an easy, hey, you know what? I don't know about it right now. I, I, I don't know enough. So let me just stop for a minute before I do this quality review. Let me look it up, and then I'll get back to you. That's the proper answer, okay? But somehow, us as physicians, we just, it's very hard for us when we're given a question rather than just going, hey, I, you know, I, I don't know that right now, but I will. If you give me a minute, let me look that up. I don't want to steer you uh, uh, astray. I, I want to I, I be uh, evidence based. So let me look that up for a minute because I'm not real sure right now. And it just becomes very hard for us as physicians to say that, right? I mean, I don't know. Now, what I don't like, the same thing I tell my kids and the same thing I tell the residents uh, and even uh, younger faculty is, 
don't ever say I don't know and leave it at that. But there shouldn't be a period after I don't know. There should be a comma. Hey, I don't know right now, but let me look it up and I'm going to get back to you. Or I suspect a, X, Y, or Z. And let me confirm that for a minute. But somehow it becomes very hard for us just to admit, hey, right now, I, I just don't know. So that should be a good exercise. Let's all practice saying, I don't know. 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 All right, all right. Now, again, remember, that shouldn't be a period. There should be a comma after that. So if you're getting ready to do your oral boards, please, if you're ever given a question that sounds really complicated and you really don't know the answer, please don't just sit there and say, I don't know, with a period after that. <laughs> say, you know, I don't know. That's a very complicated situation. I'm not sure about that. I Right off the top of my head, maybe I'm a little nervous, uh, which obviously I'm a little nervous, but I, I just don't have an answer for that right now. However, if I was ever approached by that condition or X, Y, or Z at the bedside and I didn't have an answer, I would definitely reach out to more experienced clinicians. Uh, I'd ask uh, experienced uh, and seasoned nursing staff and or I would look it up uh, to find out if there's any professional society guidance on this condition. So right now, while I, I'm not sure and I don't know, I would definitely know where to look, where to ask to, to lead the patient in the safest and most evidence-based direction that's possible. That's how you answer something when you don't know. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I know, I know. We keep mentioning the same two significant risk factors, but we keep mentioning them because they are significant risk factors. The big issue here with placenta accreta spectrum, of course, is the presence of a previa and prior C-section history. Now, remember that even previa alone without C-section history increases the risk because of, of the regular malmetrial anatomy in the lower uterine segment, all right? So even previa alone increases the risk of PAS occurrence. Placenta accreta spectrum occurs in 3% of women who have a placenta previa and have no prior cesarean delivery. 3%. That's not negligible, guys. That's pretty significant. So just previa alone is a big deal. But when previa is present in patients with previous cesarean delivery, then that risk obviously increases with each number of cesarean deliveries. So remember this number. If you have one previous C-section and a previa, it's 3%, just like the risk with a previa by itself, right? 3%. After two C-sections and a previa, it goes up 11%. After three C-sections with a previa, 61%. And after four or five C-sections, the risk is 67%. So that's 3, 11, 40, 
61 and 67 based on number of C-sections respectfully. That's not my numbers, of course, those are numbers right out of the ACOG. So those numbers are pretty impressive, and the percentages of PAS with a previa and previous C-section is obviously much greater than a non-previa placental location, okay? However, the idea of a creta occurring in a non-previa place has been published very, very well, and I'm going to give you those numbers in a minute. But here's a clinical pearl, and a big clinical pearl. Despite the absence of placenta previa, and despite the fact that there's less placental invasion into the fundus, severe maternal morbidity at this kind of delivery is actually pretty remarkable. It, it's significant. It's not negligible. So even though it's not a previa, patients can get in real danger here because of bleeding and exsanguination nonetheless. That's just inherent to any morbidly adherent placenta slash accreta condition. In September of 2020, in the Green Journal, authors published a retrospective cohort study of pathology-confirmed placenta accreta spectrum deliveries with hysterectomy performed from two U.S. referral centers that spanned January 2010 to June 2019, so almost uh, a whole decade, all right? So let's review that again. This was September 2020 in the Green Journal, so just about three years ago. Retrospective study of not suspected accreta, but of pathology confirmed that had a hysterectomy, all right? So this was an overcall. This was based on histology. Now, maternal, pregnancy, and delivery characteristics were compared among placenta accreta spectrum cases in those who had a previa and those that did not have a previa surgical outcomes, and a composite of severe maternal morbidities called SMM were then evaluated, all right? And this included things like, um, you know, massive transfusion protocol times in the OR, uh, thromboembolism, or even death. I mean, these are, these are significant maternal morbidities, right? Logistic regression was then used for this analysis to, to look for any real differences between previa PAS and non-previa PAS. And what did they find? Well, of the 351 deliveries that were included in this review, 30%, remember these are all PAS, right? 30% had no placenta previa at delivery. 30%, guys, that's 3 out of 10. Again, it's not like 5%, 10% would be important in and of itself, but 30% did not have placenta previa and these still had documented PAS and they went on to a hist. Y'all get that. That's why I said that the the morbidity, the SMM, even though it's not a previa and it's not by a previous uh, hysterotomy site, these are still real issues here. Now, the first author of this publication was Daniela Cruci, and again, it was September 2020 in the Green Journal. All right, now listen to these findings because we've already alluded to this. When compared with the previa group, the non-previa group was less likely to be identified antepartum. Only 38% of those were, compared to 87% when a previa existed. And that makes sense, right? Because we get more onto the alert. It gets into our radar when a previa exists. And these patients were also obviously less likely to receive care antepartum from a multidisciplinary team. Well, why would they? Because they, they didn't have the diagnosis. So here's the big take-home message. 
And, and this really is a big clinical pearl because some authors suggest, hey, because it's a fundal accreta or a poster wall accreta, because the muscle is so thick, right, the muscle doesn't really embed into the wall. And that is true. But even though it's not an, an increta or a percreta, they're still in harm's way because of that bleeding. Because in this study, the rates of severe maternal morbidity, SMM, was absolutely the same whether it was a previa or a non-previa. It was 19% in the non-previa group and 20% in the previa group. And even after controlling for confounders, it was no difference statistically or clinically. They were the same. But here's also an important and interesting finding, all right? When they compared the histories of these two groups, those without a previa and those with a previa, in the non-previa group, they were more likely to have had operative hysteroscopy. You see, so there's there's some kind of treatment there uh, to that endometrium slash myometrium, which increases the risk of abnormal placentation, or they had an increased risk of in vitro, all right? So IVF is an independent risk factor here for PAS, and that's that's nothing new. We've known that for a while, but it does highlight the fact that with in vitro pregnancies, man, they're not out of harm's way until the kid's born, hopefully on time, and that placenta is out. Because even in the non-previa group, IVF can be an independent risk factor for abnormal placentation no matter where that placenta is. Of course, we have to mention the ACOG ACOG in this discussion because PAS, placenta accreta spectrum disorder, is a big deal. And obviously, it's it's one of their uh, big items here in trying to reduce uh, maternal mortality, right? So the most recent review on PAS from ACOG was in July 2023 with their clinical expert series. Now, in that clinical expert series, it reminds us that, that most authorities, most experts view the origins of PAS as, as some kind of abnormal trophoblastic invasion slash attachment to something goofy, something off in the uterine wall. Okay, This allows placental growth uh, and more progressive involvement into the, this remodeled myometrum. Of course, that makes sense when it's a hysterotomy scar or something like a, uh, you know, several myomectomies that are transfundal. But even smaller defects like potentially a, a DNC a subclinical perforation, anything that invades that myometrial wall could put the patient at risk of this abnormal attachment. Which brings me to a little side note. Uh, at our institution, we do our OBDNCs uh, under ultrasound guidance, all right? Now, it's true that's not a mandate at all because you can't mandate that because places that don't have easy accessibility to ultrasound would be against standard of care if they performed a DNC not under ultrasound. So it's not a mandate, but according to some organizations like AIUM, which is the American Institute of Ultrasound and Medicine, what do you think they would say? Well, of course, I mean, they're the American Institute of Ultrasound and Medicine. They're like, man, you should always do this under a DNC because you put eyes on the curette. Uh, and, and I love that. There's no reason not to. Ours is easily available. We just wheedle it in today's surgery. Uh, one of our residents puts it over the abdomen. And so it does three things. Number one, we get to see exactly where we are. So in theory, it's safer. Number two, we get to make sure that we don't leave anything retained. That's a big deal. And then three, we know not to uh, pass point uh, the uterine serosa. So it, it really is a way to safeguard perforation. So I'm a big fan of that. I'm not telling you to do that. I'm just saying it, it can be considered best practice, although there's nothing wrong with doing it blind. But really, in, in, in 2023, doing a blind DNC 
is just pretty old school. So if you've got uh, ultrasound abilities, great to have somebody help with a transabdominal ultrasound. And of course, for things like retained products, to better protect the malmetrum, there's evidence that you could even do a with like a hysteroscopic morselator. You could do True Clear uh, uh, or, or uh, Myosure, something of that type to, to extract the tissue under direct visualization. That's totally legit, totally safe, and is another option. I'm just trying to make the point of trying to protect that myometrium because things we take for granted, like DNCs, I mean, it, they're, they're pretty darn common. But but they are, uh, they're not necessarily benign. And that's why if you do it under ultrasound, you don't have to do a sharp curettage because the whole purpose of sharp curettage was to was to manually feel the grittiness, right, of the myometrum that everything was gone. Yeah, but you're 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 putting a rake onto that myometrum and potentially that denuding effect uh, is not good to future placentation. So again, you do you, you do what you want to do, um, and whatever you're comfortable with. But I, in in our institution, and in our policy, and definitely under my guidance, uh, sharp curettage is no go. There's no point to do that if you're doing it under direct visualization. All right, uh, podcast peeps, let's get back on our message. Remember I said that there was a very recent report um, that kind of covered this information uh, and a similar presentation. Um, well, I wasn't lying to you. I mean, it, 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 there really is one. So let me give you this information, this case report that was published, because it, it's, uh, it's kind of scary. All right. Now, th- this is not the only one. I mean, there's been others. Um, And I'm going to give you one also from November of 2021. But this particular one that I want to talk to you about just came out in print in September of 2023. And of course, we're doing this in November 2023. So that's just two months ago. So I found it very fitting. There's, there's, It's interesting that this concept of non-previa accreta specifically like things like posterior or fundal accreta is now getting the attention that it really should, all right? But, and I'm going to tell you how, how recent that was because there was also a systematic review that took a look at this, but I'll give you that reference in just a minute. Uh, again, from, from 2023, actually that was just like three months ago because that was in August, but I'll give you that reference in a minute. This case report uh, from September 2023 was published by Scherer et al. That's S-H-E-R-E-R, Scherer et al. And of course, I'll put that in our reference list and the title of this re- of this case report which was just crazy and and terrifying all right the title is extensive fundal placental accreta in a nulliparous patient with an unscarred uterus and systemic lupus erythematosus yeah so let's stop there for oh oh by the way the title keeps going necessitating cesarean hysterectomy at delivery i almost cut that off okay so did you get that title? That title by itself is like a, a horror movie, right? Let's do that again. Extensive fundal placental accreta. So, man, a lot to unpack there. Extensive. It's in the fundus. It's in accreta. Then it's in a nulliparous patient, like in the patient that, like in the case that happened to my friend, and it's an unscarred uterus. With a patient with SLE, and that matters. That wasn't thrown into the title by accident. I'll tell you why that matters in a minute. And she had a C hist. Remember, nulliparous. So she had one kid, and then she got a hist. Guys, do you see this? And this was published, by the way, in Radiological Case Report, September 2023. So, wowzers. Now, a lot of these are case reports, and then because there's these individual little pockets of cases, 
um, then they get thrown into a systematic review because there's plenty of data on PAS. But PAS without Previa is is very unique. And again, I want to give you that that latest meta-analysis that just came out on this topic in just a minute. But back to this case report from September 2023, pretty much, I mean, I don't know what there is to discuss it. The, the title kind of says it all. But I find this very interesting because it is very, very similar to what happened to my friend, all right? Same thing. She had this patient in this case report, failure to progress, routine induction at 39 weeks, uh, was, went back to the OR and like, oh my gosh, this is a placenta is fundal and it's really stuck. And they, they really tried, they couldn't get it out, well, at least couldn't get it out easily. And the short of it is the patient had four liters of, of blood loss. Uh, she got massive blood transfusion and and the the thought process was well how did this happen to a null Paris patient with an unscarred uterus, and the answer was well this patient was on SLE and it's and she was on chronic long term steroids. What do steroids do to, to to muscle? Potentially weakens it. Is that wild or what? So again, it's not proven. But but based on the and the pathology confirmed right. Remember she had a hiss and they're like oh my gosh it's it's totally in the creta. Uh, now, it wasn't a percreta or an increta, but it was definitely an accreta, severe enough to mandate hysterectomy. So how impactful is this? Again, Nola Paris, first kid, you already got lupus, and then to have this issue. Now, they couldn't prove that the steroids caused it, both in an unscarred uterus, in a fundal placenta, a steroid exposure could not be uh, simply overlooked or, or, or discounted uh, as as a benign finding. So anyway, just super interesting. And that came out again, September 2023. And oh my goodness, the one from November 2021 is even worse. I mean, this was published in the International Journal of Surgical Case Reports. And that title of this case report was Fundal Partial Placenta Percreta Complicated with Postpartum Hemoperitoneum, a case report. End quote. That was by Adwin uh, et al. So yeah, this one was actually a percreta, even though it was in the fundus, right? You see that when you read stuff like, well, these usually don't go past, you know, just a slight attachment, like an accreta. Not to this patient. So that's good as a general statement. But in this case report, it was a percreta who ended up having hemoperitoneum. Uh, because basically it went to a cuvier uterus, uh, and then it basically blood started seeping out and leaking out uh, through the uterine fundus. Horrific, crazy, right? So, and, and remember that in that retrospective study, severe maternal morbidity was the same in the previa and the non-previa uh, accreta cases. And yes, I'll put all of this, of course, in our reference list. Uh, there's no point, I don't want to go that much detailed into that case, all to say it was horrific, same kind of similar issue, and, and well, that's the end of that. Now, in the AJOG, the pink journal, right, AJOG MFM, there actually is uh, a systematic review and a meta-analysis on this very topic, right? The, the title of this very recent uh, meta-analysis is Pathologically Diagnosed Placenta Accreta Spectrum Without Placenta Previa, Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. This would be a great journal club review for, for the residents. Uh, or if your faculty bring it up and, and have them discuss this, again, AJOG MFM from August 2023. And the first author is Sujai, that's S-U-G-A-I. And this is a systematic review and meta-analysis on exactly what we're talking about here. So finally and thankfully, it is getting the press that it well deserves.
All right, everyone, as we get ready to close, a quick thing about diagnosis. As we've already mentioned, most of these that are non-previa get missed, all right? Based on who you read, it's anywhere from 30% that are found antenatally up to 38%. Uh, and the majority are just like, holy crap, you find that at time of delivery when you're like, well, now I'm stuck with this thing. And MRI isn't much better, okay, because you've got to have that high index of suspicion. So even though they may be in nulliparis, if they're multigravida, ask what happened to those pregnancies with their uterine instrumentation. And if you find a fundal placenta or a placenta that's, you know, posterior wall or real nice fundal anterior, that's great. But still look at that attachment. There should be that uh, that normal uh, hypodense area between the placenta and the myometrium. And if there isn't, consider an MRI. MRI is not great. Um, it, it's, it's definitely not for screening. But even ACOG states that in cases of posterior, uh, possibly posterior accreta, especially if it's a posterior placenta previa and an accreta, that an MRI may have a role, but in general, ultrasound is the way to go, all right? And ACOG, remember, has two statements on this. They have the one that we talked about, the the recent clinical expert series, but they also have um, um, the OB uh, consensus committee number seven, all right? So that's ACOG OCC number seven. That was back in December 2018, and that's where they mentioned MRI. But but recognizing, of course, that they 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 know it's very limited and they make that very clear. Hey, MRR has some issues, but in cases specifically of posterior attachment uh, with a previa, it could help gauge a posterior depth of penetration. All right. So if you're looking for PAS data, then those you've got those two recent things from the college, the what the clinical expert series that's uh, just came out, and then uh, ACOG's obstetrical care consensus number seven from December 2018. And even though we don't have a lot of evidence for these non-previa accretas, it, it seems to be that there are some telltale signs. If you ever see a fundal placenta with big lacunae and that absent uh, hypodense zone, uh, oof, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, you may consider an MR, it may or may not be helpful, but just keep that in mind. It may not alter what you do intrapartum, but if you get that that delayed placental uh, spontaneous uh, delivery, if you have that prolonged third stage Put that on your radar, all right? So this is why you don't go in and just grab stuff just blind, especially with vaginal birth. If you got a retained placenta, uh, we're all trained to put your hand in and try to, you know, shell it off uh, the malmetrum, which is the right thing to do. I mean, you got to get it out. But ideally, try to do that under ultrasound to try to find that plane rather than causing more malmetrial damage, all right? So if a patient delivers vaginally and you got to put your hand in there and manually appeal off the placenta, do it quickly, get TXA on board, give uterotonics, uh, but but ideally try to do it under ultrasound so you can try to see at least where your hand is, where the placental edge is, you can try to get into a proper plane. And of course, even if you have to take the patient back for large band, banjo curette or large caliber DNC, you definitely want to do that under ultrasound because that uterus that is postpartum is is ripe uh, for potential perf because of alternate anatomy and bogginess. So uh, definitely do that un- under ultrasound. As our last little tidbit before we bring this to a wrap, uh, management. Yes, typically PAS requires hysterectomy. However, if this is truly fundal, 
because the majority of them, even though there's those weird ones that become an increta or a percreta, in the majority of cases, if it's not a cuvier uterus and it, you see this rose and it's, uh, it's mainly intact, try to salvage the uterus. I mean, it's worth trying. So peel off the fundus, uh, peel off the placenta from the fundus, try to find a plane, always send the placenta, of course, to pathology. Uh, and uterine compression sutures. The key here is compression of the uterus to try to close off those bleeding open sinuses. So whether it's B. Lynch, whether it's Hayman, whether it's combination, whatever, try to compress that uterus down in addition to uterotonics and TXA uh, and get on top of the blood loss. So at 1,500 mLs or more, definitely consider giving packed red blood cells. But it is worth trying to salvage the uterus, unlike in cases with a placenta previa that involves a hysterotomy site. That is, is pretty much, you've, you've, you've got to get out. Say, protect the bladder, uh, get urology if necessary. But uh, the, the typical PAS with a previa requires hysterectomy. But these, these non-previa accretas may not. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. We have covered the non-previa accreta. It's a thing, and it still carries the same risk of severe maternal morbidity. It's getting a lot more press now than it ever did, and it should. So if you ever asked, where can a placenta accreta happen? Your answer is yes. As long as there's a uterus and a myometrium, it can happen anywhere in there, although a previa and a previous hysterotomy site are the favorite locations. All right, podcast family, as always, we're thankful for you. We're glad you're part of our podcast community, and we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.